I can change the world with my own two hands, make it a better place. With my own two hands, make it a kinder place. With my own two hands, with my own, with my own two hands. I can make peace on earth. With my own two hands, I can clean up the earth. With my own two hands, I can reach out to you with my own two hands, with my own, with my own two hands, with my own, with my own two hands, gonna make it a brighter place. With my own two hands, I'm gonna make it a safer place. With my own two hands, I'm going to help the human race. With my own two hands, with my own, with my own two hands. With my own, with my own two hands. I can hold you with my own two hands. I can comfort you with my own two hands, but you got to use. Use your own two hands. Use your own, use your own two hands. Use your own, use your own two hands. Use your own, use your own two hands. Thank you. Father, but you 
church and country
we don't deserve it but we need it anyhow hang in the balance dangle between hell and hallowed ground every single one of us mercy now every single one of us could use some mercy now every single one of us could use some mercy now. Thank you. Thank you very much. I just want to make sure that you know that this is Tom Godfrey up here. I'm really happy to have him on stage. <laughs> To be humble, to be kind It is a giving of the peace in your mind To a stranger, to a friend To give in such a way that has no end We are love, we are one We are how we treat each other When the day is done we are peace, we are war, we are how we treat each other and nothing more. And to be bold and to be brave, it is the thinking that the heart can still be saved and the darkness can come quick. The dangers in the anger and the holding on to it. We are love. We are one. We are how we treat each other when the day is done. We are peace. We are war. We are how we treat each other and nothing more. Tell me what it is that you see A world that's full of endless possibilities And heroes don't look like they used to They look like you do Please rise in body or spirit for the call to worship
our love we are one we are how we treat each other when the day is done we are peace we are war we are how we treat each other and nothing more we are how we treat each other and nothing more let's not go building new walls around our hearts we have already enough that keeps us from each other enough that keeps us from ourselves for this hour we practice showing up with a willingness to see to be seen to remember ourselves whole and still becoming better to believe it is okay to not be okay that we are loved even when we feel unlovable that we belong even when the ground comes out from under us to be for each other a surprising generosity a sudden sweetness a sign of hope and the start of a new day together we can be this brave so come let us worship together remain standing and sing hymn 1017 with us building a new way
Good morning. I'm your worship leader, Kristen Satterley, and I am so pleased to say hello to each one of you today. Whoever and wherever you are in the family room, so the family room's uh, video feed is down today, so there's probably no one in there, and if so, they can't hear me, um, or social hall. We are so glad you are here in this congregation connected by love. Take a moment to notice the people near you or across the room or in the other areas of the campus and the energy that swirls between and among us. A special hello to our small folks. Thank you so much for bringing your families this morning. We have special spaces for you, a playground right down here, which is already in use with the best view in the house and a soft rug and toys to play with and an activity table in the back as I mentioned, the family room doesn't have a video feed today, so you probably won't, your family probably won't want to be in there. But wherever you want to be, we are delighted to have you here. We are one people of many beliefs, each with our own story, come together to share this worshipful time with each other. We bring our holy, sacred, whole selves into this moment, beloved for who we are. All are welcome. New step. <laughs> now I can read. <laughs> well, I have a story for you today. Once upon a time, there were two friends who grew up together. They went to the same schools together and their families even shared holidays together for their parents were friends with each other too. Later on in their lives, both decided to become farmers. They bought land right next to each other on either side of a shared valley and they lived happily their wives and their children. While the two friends grew older, as we do, eventually their children grew up and moved away to pursue their own lives. Both men's wives had died and they became widowers. Soon, the two old men only had each other. Well, never in their lives had they ever had an argument. Never before in their lives had they ever spoken a harsh word to one another. But one day, a stray calf wandered onto their farms and the two men began to say things to each other that they had never said to each other before. It's my calf. I know it's my calf because of the markings on it. It belongs to my best dairy cow. Rubbish. I know that calf is mine, the other responded. And words far worse than rubbish came out of their mouths, aimed at each other. Well, old Joe, one of the pair of friends, 
Oh, sorry. For the first time, the two turned their backs on each other and went back to their separate farmhouses, each muttering beneath his breath. So old Joe, one of the pair of friends, could not forget about the words that his lifelong friend and neighbor had spoken to him. And a little later, he heard the sound of a big backhoe coming down the road. He looked out his door, saw that his neighbor was digging a great ditch between the two of their farms. The backhoe took earth away all the way up to a spring uh, on a hill behind the farm. And before you knew it, the ditch was filled with water, separating the two farms forever. Well, Joe became even angrier than he was before, and he thought to himself, well, if that's how he wants it to be, let me see what I can do in return. Just then, there was a knock at the door. Who could this be, Joe thought. He opened the door, and standing there was a man with a backpack and a box of tools hanging from his shoulder. And he said that he was a carpenter and he was looking for work. Just the one I'm looking for, said Joe, come in. Joe led the carpenter right to the kitchen window and pointed out the great ditch filled with water. He told the carpenter about everything that had happened between him and his neighbor, his former friend. He said, and do you see what my neighbor has done now? Well, I can do him one better than that. I'd like you to build a big fence to block out the, my view of his water and his house. Can you do that? And the carpenter said, yes, I think I can do that. If you have poles and wood and wire and everything. Oh yes, says Joe, I've got even more than that. I've got barbed wire, and we'll put it up on the top of the fence when it's done. And he led the carpenter down to the shed and showed him where everything was. And the carpenter assured Joe that he would do a good job. And then, because Joe trusted the carpenter, he set out for town. There he saw a few people he knew spent a while with them sharing food and drink and the story of what had happened. And in the evening before it was dark, he came home looking forward to seeing the carpenter's work. So he parked his truck in the farmyard and then he walked to the side of the farmhouse to look upon the fence. But there was no fence. And what he saw made his mouth drop open. There was a beautiful, sturdy bridge, complete with strong handrails. And walking across the bridge was his neighbor. Joe, he said, Joe, how could the two of us who have been friends for so long 
possibly argue over such a stupid thing as a calf? What was I thinking? Who cares about that? Look, I built this ditch and I filled it with water to separate us, but you've gone and built a bridge. You are the smart one. What could ever come between us and our friendship? And Joe, looking at the ground, said, well, to tell the truth, it wasn't me. It was this carpenter here. <laughs> and both men turned to the carpenter and smiled and said, friend, you can stay here as long as you like. We've got plenty of work for you on our farms. And the carpenter said, I'd stay here if I could, but I have far to go and many more bridges to build. Unitarian Universalist ministers are called to preach the truth in love as they best see it. And before we move on to the meditation, I feel called to say a few words about the conflict in Israel and Gaza. And I want to make clear that these are my ideas, not the official position of the church, and not Reverend Angelo's ideas. She and I are two different people who work in close collaboration, but who think in our own ways. And she'll be preaching about it on March 10th, so you'll get her take then. I do know that we are all united in horror at the suffering and loss of life. I know that we are all deeply frustrated by our relative powerlessness, the helplessness that we feel in the face of international and intergenerational forces that are far beyond our control. And horror and helplessness are a bad combination, and I imagine some folks in this congregation are feeling despair. I get that. I feel despair sometimes, too. I know many folks have written to our federal officials. I've written too. I wrote and asked that any future aid to Israel be tied to ending the civilian casualties in Gaza and to the delivery of humanitarian aid in an adequate way. And I ask that on the day this war is over that the US lead a serious effort to create a permanent and just solution that allow all parties involved to live in peace and to not stop that process until that's the case. But you know, my, it's my position on the specific paths to peace, the current tactics, it's really not the point. It's not the point. I'm aware that there is a lot, there is plenty that I don't know, and that my ideas could be flawed, could have consequences we don't expect. Even though I'm a former artillery officer in the Marine Corps, I know a little bit about military and diplomatic strategies and how they combine. I know a little bit about the history of the region but I could be wrong, or at least not complete in my analysis, because my perspective, oh, thank you. Uh, I hope you're not applying that I'm wrong. <laughs> but that's, of course, you're right. You absolutely have a right to disagree with me. Um, but I'm, I'm a citizen of the United States. That's my perspective, and I'm in a particular kind of bubble and about what I see and what I hear. And I'm also in a particular kind of social media bubble that I know is being, being used by countries like Russia and China to foment dissent. And so it's a very confusing time. It's hard to know what's, what's right. 
So I've done a lot of movement and organizing work, a lot of pretty hardcore anti-racism work involving getting arrested, things like that. And I'm recognizing a pattern this, these days that I'm seeing, I've seen in other movements. It is the failure to understand that people of good faith, people of good faith can agree on the end goals of a movement and very much disagree on the paths to get there, very much disagree, and do that in good faith. And what I've seen in the past, and what I'm afraid I'm seeing in the current moment, is that a specific path to the goal gets turned into an ideological purity test. And if someone doesn't exactly agree with the path, then they're on the side of the enemies. They condone what they're doing. They're not someone to be worked with. Dividing us does not help our movement. And we all need to be, doing to, we all need to be willing to listen. We're Unitarian Universalists. We value questions. That's built into our theology. We stay open to the possibility of new learning and new growth. We hold the painful possibility that I could be wrong. We could be wrong. And these things are our strengths. We appreciate nuance. We can live with ambiguity. It's a power, a superpower. So tenderly, humbly, I want to encourage people in this congregation and everywhere to have conversations that build connections and broaden understanding. I want to encourage folks to be wary of black and white thinking. And I want to lead with questions like, what could I be missing here? What perspectives are missing from this conversation? And what might be keeping them from being in this conversation? And that's the ideological purity test makes people afraid to speak out. And sometimes good ideas get pushed aside or silenced. And I suggest that as an antidote to the despair that maybe many of us are thinking, that we engage in justice work that keeps us from despair and has tangible impacts, especially locally. For example, we just finished the state legislative session. There are a lot of bills sitting on, sitting on the governor's desk that she may or may not sign. And it's a great time to give the governor a nudge to sign the bills that protect our planet and protect our people. That's something we can do locally. It might make us feel a little better. So that's all I have on that for now. Thank you for hearing me. And now I'm gonna make the most awkward pivot ever and talk about meditation. <laughs> Let's go from a stressful conversation to chilling out. Yeah, you ready with me? <laughs> but I actually, th I actually think this is an opportunity. So Reverend Angela and I are taking a class that was recommended by the Unitarian Universalist Association about how to talk about the conflict in a way that leads to peacemaking. And in that class, we're constantly being reminded to watch our bodies to see how we're reacting to these, these conversations. So why don't we practice that together right now? So, I mean, we know hard conversations don't just affect our hearts and minds. They affect our bodies. They land in our bodies. So we're going to take this opportunity to connect with our bodies. So find a comfortable position that works for your body today whatever that is. Maybe rest your feet on the floor or not. Feel where your hands are. And we're just going to do a scan of our bodies. And we're not trying to fix things. We're just observing what's happening in our body. Saying, hmm, how about that? Oh my, I hadn't noticed that. So I invite you to turn your attention to your feet. Look at your feet. 
move your attention to your lower legs. How are your calves today? How do your thighs and hips feel? Shift your focus up to your torso. Where do you feel energy flowing? Where do you feel energy blocked? Here's a good one. Move your attention to your shoulders and neck. Again, resist the urge to fix them. Just take note. What's going on there? Move your attention to your arms, your hands. Finally, bring your focus to your head. How is your jaw? How is your brow, your scalp? Are your eyes soft or clenched? What did our bodies tell us about how we heard that conversation right now? or remaining silent when a single voice would have made a difference. We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again. For each time that our fears have made us rigid and inaccessible, Forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in love. For each time we have struck out in anger without just cause. ourselves and each other, we begin again For each time that our greed has blinded us to the needs of others, we forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again For the selfishness that sets us apart and alone. We forgive ourselves and each other. 
Admonitions of the Spirit. We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again. For losing sight of our unity. ourselves and each other For those and for so many acts, both evident and subtle, which have fueled the illusion of separateness. We forgive ourselves and each other. Those feelings we felt in our bodies are little literal burdens that we care, carry from our joys and concerns. They tell us what we're carrying. And so I invite you now at the sound of the chime to share those joys and concerns into our sanctuary. these we add the prayers of our community. <clears throat> we celebrate Black History Month. May this be a time of learning and growth and maybe even a little discomfort. We mourn the passing of Tom Brown. There'll be a memorial, memorial service for Tom Brown in the sanctuary on March 9th. That's a Saturday at 1 p.m. All who knew him are welcome to attend. May his wife Joan and their three children feel our love during this time of grief. And we grieve the loss of Wayne Bauer, who passed just early this morning. May his wife Kate Harrington and all his loved ones be comforted by their memories of Wayne. And may Tom and Wayne, may they have light perpetual shine upon them. And we are heartbroken to learn that Patim is facing a terminal diagnosis. May she and her husband, John Barber, and their family know that they are carried in the heart of this congregation as they enter this sacred time. All these we lift up to the great powers of healing and renewal and celebration known by many names. Spirit of life, God of many names, love that surrounds us. In challenging times, may we turn to each other. May this congregation, as individuals and as a group, be a refuge for us. 
and may we set aside old ways of domination and demonization, and may we find a new way where we place love at the center of everything that we do. Amen, and blessed be, and peace be with you. You say you see no hope You say you see no reason We should dream that the world would ever change You're saying love is foolish to believe Cause there'll always be some crazy With an army or a knife To wake you from your daydream Put the fear back in your life Look, if someone wrote the play just to glorify what's stronger than hate, would they not arrange the stage to look as if the hero came too late? He's almost in defeat. It's looking like the evil side will win. So on the edge of every seat, from the moment that the whole thing begins it is love who mixed the mortar and it's love who stacked these stones and it's love who made the stage here though it looks like we're alone in this scene set in shadows like the night is here to stay there is evil cast around us but it's love that wrote the play For in this darkness love can show the way So now the stage is set You feel your own heart beating in your chest This life's not over yet so we get up on our feet and do our best. We play against the fear. We play against the reasons not to try. We're playing for the tears burning in the happy angel's eyes. Cause it's love who mixed the mortar and it's love who stacked these stones and it's love who made the stage here. Though it looks like we're alone in the scene set in shadows, like the night is here to stay, there is evil cast around us, but it's love that wrote the play. For in this darkness, love can show the way, show the way. Show the way. That was beautiful. <laughs> What a gorgeous song and what a rich service already. Could just toss this thing out and I think we've done enough, really. 
However, every year at our denomination's General Assembly, a common read is announced. That's a book that thousands of UUs take up together for collective learning and reflection. So as an example, past year's selections have included The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, Breathe by Imani Perry, The Third Reconstruction by William Barber, and Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, just to name a few titles that you might recognize. So this sermon is, I hope, a tantalizing preview for many of you of this year's common read, Repentance and Repair by Dania Ruttenberg. This really is such a good book. It's one of those books that can be a game changer in a person's life or a culture shifter as it helps shape our conversations with one another. It's one of those kind of books. Ruttenberg is a rabbi, and she's the author of several books. One of them is entitled, get ready, it's a long title, Nurture the Wow, Finding Spirituality in the Frustration, Boredom, Tears, Poop, Desperation, Wonder, and Radical Amazement of Parenting. <laughs> Which I think gives you a pretty good sense of how down-to-earth her writing is. All the way down-to-earth. <laughs> But because she's a rabbi, her writing is also in conversation with some really good ancient human wisdom. Repentance and Repair was published by the UUA's publishing house, Beacon Press, and it won the National Jewish Book Award. Its starting place, and ours, is we all mess up. We all mess up sometimes. We say the wrong thing, we do the wrong thing, out of ignorance or selfishness or a lack of problem-solving skills, out of entitlement, impatience, or anger, or because we feel tired, overwhelmed, depleted, defensive, hangry, or just under-resourced on the inside. Sometimes we do harm because we ourselves have been harmed. And, as Ruttenberg puts it, sometimes we do harm, quote, out of a perspective that has been poisoned by the normalization of ideas that are racist, ableist, transphobic, fatphobic, end quote. And we talk about that kind of thing quite a bit here at First Unitarian. We do harm when we don't mean to, and we feel bad about it. And we do harm when we do mean to, and later we regret it, because it's not how we want to be in the world. And we do care about other people. How do we build a bridge? How do we build that bridge? Back into right relationship with another person or with a community, and especially with ourselves, when we have done something harmful. It's one of life's most important questions, and it takes on even more weight, I think, when we have set high aspirations for ourselves and for each other. Here at church, for example, we aspire to be a community that affirms and lives in love, compassion, justice, and equity, one that honors the inherent worth and dignity of every person and respects the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. These are high, beautiful values. And in fact, nobody can do them 100% perfectly 100% of the time. Are we setting ourselves up for failure here? Well, I don't see it that way. I think that we are setting ourselves up to live the best we can, to be led by our highest values. And that doesn't mean not messing up. 
it does mean turning back to our aspirations and values when we do mess up. It means doing the hard work of repair. But how to do repair is not always clear, and we've all had the experience of offering and of receiving apologies that fell short, haven't we? We've seen them a lot. In fact, we saw some especially ineffective apologies during the Me Too movement. Some of them seemed like they were written by a publicist for Instagram and designed specifically to avoid actual accountability for the thing in question, right? Like, I'm, uh, I didn't harass and assault you when I harassed and assaulted you, but hey, I'm sorry, you're mad about it. You know, like, really? Daniel Ruttenberg offers a framework that's much different from that. She offers a framework that comes from the doctor, philosopher, and scholar of Jewish law, Maimonides. Maimonides was born in the year 1135 CE in what is now Spain. At that time, that area was ruled by a Muslim empire, and when Maimonides was 13, a new caliphate took over the area where he lived, and it became unsafe in his hometown for Jews and for Christians as well. So he and his family escaped. He lived in Morocco and Palestine before settling in Egypt in 1168 when he was 32 years old. And by this time, Maimonides was already well known for his writing and teaching about the Mishnah, ancient wisdom texts in Judaism that date back to 200 CE. So they were already 900 years old when he was working with them. He went on to become a leader of the Jewish community in Egypt, as well as a physician to the Sultan of Egypt and Syria, Saladin. And when Maimonides died in the year 1204, he had become famous in medicine, philosophy, and Jewish law. What a life, right? Such a worldly life. One of his greatest contributions was to write about Jewish law in such a way that everyday Jews and not just scholars would know how to follow it, which is tricky because Jewish law is written in the Talmud, not as a set of uh, bullet points or numbered points, but in the form of a long, winding conversation that developed over many years and involved many scholars putting it into conversation with real life questions. If you open up the Talmud, it's like there's a center section and then there's commentary around it and then there's commentary around the commentary. It is layered and very detailed. It contains stories and arguments, tributes, disses, and jokes. It has so much in there. And it contains some real gems for humankind. That is what Maimonides helped to lift up and that's what Daniel Ruttenberg's book is about, one of those gems, which is instructions for how to make amends when we've done harm. The instructions create a path that can be applied in lots of different kinds of contexts from very small to large scale. It applies interpersonally from one person to another, and it can apply to harm done within a whole community and even to situations of collective trauma suffered and passed down along generations. It's really adaptable. So I have avoided saying the word repentance again for about five minutes now. It's not a very UU sounding word, right? Repent has been used by some religious people, not all, but some very loud ones as a cudgel, like a way to religiously whack at people, right? Repent, repent. 
And UUs are like super allergic to that, <laughs> right? We don't like it, especially if we have been told to repent essentially for who we are, right? Like gay, atheist, transgender, a loose woman, whatever. And yeah, I said that. <laughs> and that, all of that, being told to repent for that stuff, that is bleeping nonsense, okay? You're fine. I love you. But listen to what repent really means. This is from the Oxford English Dictionary. Repent. To review one's actions and feel contrition or regret for something one has done or omitted to do. So it's to review actions and to feel regret for something you've done or not done that you think you should have done. Or, it says, especially in religious contexts, to acknowledge the wrongness of one's past action or conduct by showing sincere remorse and undertaking to reform in the future. The dictionary uses the word sinfulness instead of wrongness because of the especially in religious contexts part. But wrongness, falling short, screwing up, that is what we're talking about here. In fact, three of the five steps Maimonides outlines, acknowledgement, apology, and change, are in plain view right there in the Oxford English Dictionary definition. So some of this is a kind of collective wisdom that we, we know at some level. And although this is unlike some other religious context, this is, in fact, a religious context. So let's walk through the path that Maimonides sets out. What to do if we've done harm? And, yes, we want to repent and want to make repair. Well, step one is to acknowledge the harm you have done. When you mess up, when you do the wrong thing, name it and own it. It sounds straightforward. It does require a couple of key things, though. First, in order to acknowledge harm that we've done, we've got to understand what it was. And sometimes that's actually kind of challenging. We might be informed that we've done something wrong, but we may not understand what the big deal is, right? Then we have to do the work of getting curious, of listening, reflecting, and if necessary, seeking out some more education for ourselves so we can get to the point of being able to authentically acknowledge the harm. Another challenge is that acknowledging we've done something harmful can sometimes make us vulnerable to very undesirable consequences. I think of a healthcare provider as an example, not a specific one, but a theoretical one who accidentally harms a patient and the pressure they may face from their employer and insurance company to not specifically admit fault, right? So it's not always as straightforward as it seems. It can be quite difficult. Another challenge is that we have to get past our own defenses when we acknowledge that we've done harm, right? Because it's tempting, even if we're willing and we're able to acknowledge the harm, it's very tempting to give a bunch of reasons why we did it, which waters it down. It's, there are always reasons, but it's not very satisfying for the person you've harmed to hear those. It sounds like trying to minimize things, so to get past our defenses. You know, we feel bad when we do bad. We're afraid others will think that we are bad. And maybe we even wonder if we are bad, if we've done something bad. 
We might feel shame, and that's very uncomfortable. But I did something bad is not the same as I am bad, right? I am bad is where shame begins. It doesn't usually go in very helpful directions. But I did something bad, that is what repentance and repair begin with. And that is a very fruitful direction to go in. That's where we want to go. So step one, acknowledging harm. Step two, starting to change. If we own up to something, if we acknowledge the harm, but we keep behaving in the same way, then our acknowledgement doesn't mean much. In fact, it's kind of an insult because now it's clear that you know what you're doing, right? Ruttenberg gives a big example. In 2011, the Canadian government issued a formal apology to indigenous populations there for the horrific abuses the government perpetrated against them, separating families, indoctrinating children so that they would lose their culture, committing child abuse against those children, and worse. The government acknowledged this and it created a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which generated calls to action that constituted a kind of reparations. Good. Except, during the same period of time, 2011, the same government was intentionally pushing to take over indigenous treaty land to develop oil and gas pipelines and was excluding indigenous people in the process because, the government said, seeking the consent of indigenous people created investment insecurity. What use was the apology if the government was still actively violating the rights of indigenous people, right? That story makes me feel kind of sick to my stomach. To be truly on the path of repentance and repair, we must begin to change in our personal lives, what does that look like? It depends on what the harm was, what the situation is. It might be getting some more education for ourselves about a certain thing. It might be going to therapy or giving up drinking or whatever makes sense for the context, things like that. That's step two, start to change. So acknowledge the harm, start to change. Step three, restitution and accepting consequences. 20 years ago, my four-year-old son broke his sister's Polly Pocket doll. He owned up to it, but she insisted for years that he owed her another one. I mean, this persisted like through elementary school. <laughs> Maybe she still thinks so right now, I don't know. Her seven-year-old self was not wrong though. Because if we own up to doing something bad, but we don't do anything about it, even if we've changed or we're never going to bust another Polly Pocket doll again, we haven't really made amends yet, have we? If we haven't done something about it. Often making restitution involves asking the victim of the harm what's needed or what would feel healing to them. One does not make amends at the person harmed, but to them, says Ruttenberg. Good point. Consequences might look like you're not invited to play with your sister's doll for a while and you don't make a big deal out of it or start a pressure campaign. Or say a person misconducts in their job. They may have to accept the consequence of not being able to do that job anymore or of having to work very hard and for a long time to rebuild trust. 
Accepting the consequence means not demanding, cajoling, or loudly complaining about it. It means doing the work of repentance and repair in the time that it takes. Step four, apologize. Step four, right? Shouldn't that have come like first, right? Wouldn't you think? Sometimes, sometimes apology can come right away. But here's the thing about it, and here's why Maimonides put it later in the process. If we rush to apologize before we've adequately acknowledged the harm, before we understand it, or if we apologize but we aren't planning to change anything in the future, the apology might actually make things worse. It is possible for a person to quickly realize that they've done something wrong, instantly learn from it, and issue a real apology. And I think we've probably all done that or seen somebody do that. We know that can happen. But we've got to watch out for the temptation to apologize just to get out of our own discomfort or get somebody to stop being mad at us or avoid being inconvenienced by having to confront the issue. Those are the pitfalls. So acknowledge harm, start to change, restitution and accepting consequences, apologize, and finally step five is Make different choices when faced with similar circumstances in the future. And friends, this will only happen if we have done the work of repentance and repair. If we've learned and if we've changed. If we have done these things, a better choice will happen quite naturally. We will have taken responsibility and become more like the person we have the potential to be. If we do harm and we don't do the work of self-reflection and growth and repair, then even if we apologize, we're actually likely, eventually, to once again show the same tendency or behavior that created the harm in the first place. Daniel Ruttenberg says, In theory, this all sounds simple enough. Own the pain you've caused, take steps to change, make amends, apologize, and don't do it again. That's it, right? <laughs> but the reason she wrote a whole book about it is that, as you can already see, the reality in each of these steps can be hard. So, you want to explore it more, right? Or are you curious to imagine how the same process can be used on a large scale? It is possible, even when terrible things have happened, even in this world right now, it is possible. So I encourage you to join the workshop that Bob and I are going to be leading next month. It's going to take place in the social hall over three sessions. You can watch for more information about how to register for it um, in the e-broadsheet and weekly announcements and invitations here in the service. But the first one is from 1 to 4 p.m. on Saturday, March 23rd. And then the next two are evening sessions, Wednesdays, March 27th and April 10th from 6 to 8. So you can pencil that in. Now you do have to read the book first. Yep. <laughs> it's not just the, like the short, the TLDR. <laughs> You've got to read the book. And the public libraries do have a few copies. You can buy it online from the UUA bookstore, which is sweetly named In Spirit, the In Spirit bookstore. You can order it through a local bookstore like Bookworks or another online bookseller. You can get it on an e-reader, and it's also available as an audio book. So there's lots of ways to access this book. And as I was driving over here with all of these words on the page I, this morning, I thought about something else I just want to leave you with, which is that although this work is so hard, 
it feels so good when we do it, right? It's when we have done harm and not made amends or repair, we find ourselves out of sync, out of relationship uh, with ourselves, with others. We can be blocked in our lives from certain kinds of growth. Whole communities can be blocked by not addressing harm, can find themselves repeating it over and over again. And we know there's lots of examples of that. But to do the work creates stronger relationships. It creates good feeling. It's healing, transformative, and liberating. So it's just so worthy. And I hope that you will investigate it as much as you can. In the words of our interlude song, which is the one right before the sermon, it is love who mixed the mortar and it's love who stacked these stones. Now, I don't know anything about construction really or what this sanctuary is actually made of, and I'm pretty sure David Wilcox has never been here, but the point is that I do know that this sanctuary, our home together, was built by love, and we shore it up every time we gather here. And we also shore it up every time we reach out, our loving hands helping to build more and wider. This offering is one of many ways we reach out with love, building the world we want to see. Our change for the future partner this month is Casa Q, a caring organization that provides safe living for LGBTQ youth and their allies through housing, services, and advocacy. You may mark a pew envelope CFF or place coins in the basket to benefit Casa Q. We will now gratefully accept the offering. upon my feet to share with you the last bite of bread I had to eat I would swim out to save you in your sea of broken dreams all your hopes are sinking let me show you what love means love can tribes of men I would give my heart's desire so that you might see the first step is 
to realize that it all begins with you and me.
Yeah, why don't I, I'll just do this quick one from the pulpit. It's funny to see here, like, is there a structural engineer in the house? It kind of sounds like the ceiling's about to come down on us, right? <laughs> Which is a thing that did start happening in the social hall before we remodeled it a few years ago. I just want to take a moment to introduce you to members of our care team. Members of the care team, if you're here, would you stand up or raise your hand and keep it up? There's Joyce and Cheryl and Pam. Yay. Yes. <laughs> And Jane, so we have a growing care team. There's about 10 people on it now. And I just wanted you to get to see who some of those folks are. This is the um, pastoral care team here in your congregation that can reach out to somebody with a phone call or a card or even a visit. We have uh, soul singers who can come and sing to people. And soon we'll have the caring cooks back in uh, back at the swing of things again and be able to bring meals and that's for anybody who's going through a hard time or maybe celebrating a new family member um, or any of those kinds of things in life so I hope if you are going through something or you know somebody who is you'll refer to the care team you'll let the care team know which you can do by emailing caring at uuabq.org or calling or 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 all right, we hope you'll stay for coffee hour after the service. That's just down the hall. Um, if you uh, would like a conversation starter for the discussion table there or other spaces, here's one. When have you seen repentance and repair happen? Maybe in your own life. Maybe you've done it or you've seen someone do it. When have you seen it? And knowing what you know now, what went well? And what do you think could go better? What might you do differently? Let's rise in body or spirit and just greet each other for a moment with a gesture of peace. We like to do it with one hand over our hearts and we reach the other one out. Peace to all. We want you to please remain standing. We're going to sing hymn 1022, Open the Window. I think the chorus is printed in your bulletin. Open the window, children. This is your part. Open the window now. Open the window, children. Open the window. Let the dove fly in. But you get a second part when I'm singing in the chorus, and you're going to sing with Tom. Open the window. Let the dove fly in. The easy words. Open 
the window, children. Open the window, let the dove fly in. Open the window, let the dove fly in. Neighbors lock the doors, build fences so high. Open the window, let the dove fly in. Don't see what's discovered on the other side. Open the window, let the dove fly in. Open the window, children. Open the window now. Open the window, children. Open the window, let the dove fly in. Open the window, let the dove fly in. Borders round countries, borders round the sky. Open the window, let the dove fly in. The only border closed is the border around your mind. Open the window, let the dove fly in. Open the window, children. Open the window now. Open the window, children. Open the window, let the dove fly in. Open the window, let the dove fly in. Some people have money, some people have none. Open the window, let the dove fly in. What's the use of money if your heart's gone numb? Open the window, let the dove fly in. Open the window, children. Open the window now. Open the window, children. Bless you and keep you until we're gathered again. Blessed be. Amen.